Welcome to Frontline's podcast, where I'll be chatting to social workers and sector experts about the key topics impacting them and the children and families they support. We'll also share reflections and takeaways along the way, so you can continue to learn from other professionals to do your best work with children and families. My name is Hannah and I work at the social work charity Frontline as Principal Practice Tutor. Since qualifying as a social worker, I've worked both in the voluntary and statutory sectors in multiple settings, including hospitals, criminal justice social work and child protection teams. For me, social work should be about social justice and I'm constantly finding inspiration from fellow social workers, service users, experts by experience and community activists. This is one of the reasons why I'm very excited to be facilitating discussion on this podcast. In this episode, I talked to four guests about how to drive social change through activism, policy and practice. Okay, I think... Yeah, I think I'm just hoping that my dogs don't bark. That's Alison Humes. Alison is a Welsh Romani social worker, activist and co-founder of the Gypsy Roma Travellers Social Work Association, or GRTSW. Alison has been qualified for 23 years and has practice experience in both children's and adult safeguarding. She is trained as a therapeutic social worker and is an educator on social work programmes in Wales. Through her work, Alison undertakes independent assessments exclusively with Gypsy, Traveller and Roma children in care proceedings. I asked Alison to tell me about the GRTSW and why she set it up. So we set up in 2020. It was in June, I think, that I sent the call out on on Twitter. Um, so so during the pandemic at the start of the pandemic um and there were uh, you know there were a few motivations really i think um there was the sense that you know as a as an ethnic welsh gypsy i knew that there weren't going to be many of us you know who were either romani or or, or traveler in the profession because of all of the educational disadvantages at such early key stages, we don't kind of get into further and higher education in, 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 in high enough numbers to be part of professions. So I knew there weren't a lot of us, but I thought there's got to be more than, than just me. So there was a real need, I think, to kind of reach out to other, you know, social workers who are Romani or traveller, just to have that, 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 peer support you know that safe space where we could come together um, and kind of share some of our experiences um, and and I think hope hopefully create a space as well where we could challenge you know some of the the, the practice that we'd experience our own our own experiences of anti-gypsyism within the profession and kind of create a space for positive change um, and also, you know, during that time, that was a time where, you know, Black Lives Matter was really kind of gaining momentum and gaining that really strong voice. And, you know, that for me at the time, again, was um, was a source of, of inspiration. So um, so a combination of being inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, what 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 you can kind of create if you bring your voices together and that need for for some kind of a, a peer, a peer-led safe space where we could hopefully create change. So there was a bit about community solidarity, but then together maybe hoping to to shift and change things that aren't okay that you've witnessed and seen in the profession. Yeah, yeah, to shift and change things. And I think, you know, I think, you know, when there are so few of you and we come from, you know, ethnicities where you can still say it's the last acceptable form of of 
of, of racism it you know it, it it can be a scary it can be a scary place to kind of lift your head above the parapet and 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 be an outliner for change so that why that's why it was kind of really important to find you know first of all you know at the social workers who were Romania traveler but also to kind of inviting allies as well you know allies who'd been doing amazing work you know either a social worker or or, or social work you know academics again to to first of all develop you know some some really good research on on how social work uh, happens in in you know our diverse communities and kind of you know what what needs to change and then you know being that that space where you know as community members but also professional social workers we could be the drivers of that change yeah amazing and and what since the, the start of a few years ago what what have you been able to work on together so I think some kind of key things for us have been we have developed a whole suite of of training um, and we have delivered hundreds and hundreds of hours of training across the UK um, in how to support Romani and traveller families. And I think what's distinct about our training is, you know, we we bring, you know, who we are, we bring our lived and our living experiences as members of, you know, our communities. But also, you know, we bring that professional social work lens. We also bring in the empirical research, you know, particularly the research, you know, from Dr. Dan Allen, who who he's now in Liverpool Hope. At the time he was in in, in Manchester Metropolitan University. And he he um you know has published some really important research on overrepresentation of of you know Romani and traveller children into child welfare services, but also, you know, becoming looked after. Um, so we were able to take that research and think about, you know, how we develop, um, you know, models of, of, of social work practice based on that empirical data. We've, you know, we created, um, uh, we have a theory of change. So, so we've got a five year theory change. So we're very clear about, you know, what, what it is that needs to happen and how we co-produce you know that change again with that with 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 community because you know as as a community member what we know is you know we are we are over researched but change never you know, never happens so you know what's fundamental to us is is that you know we support change from you know from from the grassroots from 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 bottom up so we've been doing you know a lot of co-production over the last couple of years we've been feeding into uh really important um inquiries and 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 consultations um if i think of a couple um there was the um the independent uh review of children's social care in england which you know we've given evidence to we've given evidence to you know uh welsh government we've been active um, around the Police Act Part 4, which impacted specifically on uh, uh, nomadic peoples. Um, it's now an act, but we campaigned, you know, vigorously against it. And also, you know, since since it became legislation, or since it became enacted on the 28th of June, we've developed good practice guidance 
um, uh, around welfare assessments. So when social workers or anybody actually who, who, you know, has to undertake a welfare assessment as part of that eviction process, which is now, you know, a, a criminal, a criminal legislation that, that there is good practice guidance, which is absolutely, you know, foundationed on our ethics and values as a profession is human rights based and is family focused. So that's the kind of most recent piece of work that we've been doing. Wow, Alison, and and many of you doing that on top of being busy social workers in your day job. It's all it's all additional to to yeah. We all we all have busy day jobs, so this is kind of over and above, you know, the, those day jobs. And and I think part of managing capacity is a massive issue. You know, in terms of our core membership, we're always going to be you know a small core group of social workers because we are not in. You know, like we we have so many educational disadvantages that we don't get into. You know, we don't get into higher education, so we are not. You know, we are not in the profession. So you know, the reality is there's going to be a small core group, and this is why where allyship is really important. You know, this is where a relationship with Basel has been really important, and the development of that statement on anti-gypsyism, which again, you know, we were part of. You know, driving forward. Um, we with Basel we set up the special interest group on social work with Ramon and traveller, you know, people and families. So again, we, we, we created that capacity, you know, a wider capacity within our profession, because like I said, those of us who are of community are, own, are going to be, you know, small for, a, for, you know, the foreseeable future until those inequalities, kind of those gaps are closed. And it makes me think about when in the last few years with what the Black Lives Matter has, has pushed in our profession, this idea that it shouldn't be an additional burden on those that are impacted the most by the discrimination. It, it relies on allyship and it relies on action that isn't a additional piece of work on top of our workload. It, it needs to be entwined with our work. And on that, that leads nicely to our next question, which is what are ways that social workers listening can stand in solidarity and advocate for children and families from the Gypsy, Gypsy Roma travellers communities? First of all, think about, you know, every family in relation to our, 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 our values and our, and our, and our, and our codes of ethics. So, you know, if we, if we practice in a way which is, which, which is consistent with those, then we're not going to go far wrong. And then as part of social workers who are curious about people, are curious about families, curious about, you know, their own practice, their own customs, their own values, their own mores, we ask. You know, we, we, we're, we, we, we're curious, aren't we? And we ask, you know, in respectful ways about about people, about their families, about their lives, about what's important to them, about those those customs and those practices. And also, you know, if we, you know, if we have a referral and that referral is a family that is Romani or traveller, you know, we go and do a bit of research if we don't really know much about, you know, about different, you know, different, di- different ethnicities, different, you know, different cultures. We go and do a bit of homework, first of all. And again, there's lots of sources of really brilliant, fantastic information on how to work, you know, in a culturally appropriate and sensitive way, you know, with 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 all types of families, not just, you know, uh, Romani and, and traveller families. So, yeah, go, go. and I think, you know, there are there are local authorities across uh, England, across the UK, where um, 
uh, you know, traveller or Romani families, maybe, you know, uh, the largest you know, minority in that in that particular locality. Uh, and, and even if they're not, you know, if they're in your locality, then I think all local authorities, you know, should have, you know, really good information and signposting on 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 how to kind of upskill their social workers but if 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 you know relatively there is a large population then it's absolutely beholden on those local authorities to ensure that all of their social work staff you know have the, have the relevant kind of you know training and support in 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 properly supporting you know those families and that really leads us nicely to, to my next question thing that I wanted to consider sort of broadening the lens out a bit and thinking about activism and social work in general um why do you think if you think um why do you think social work and activism go hand in hand fundamentally you know we're a a human rights-based profession you know committed to social justice it's there in our international code of ethics and i don't think i would be able to call myself a social worker unless I were I was also an activist because I think you know we have to we as social workers you know we bear witness you know we're in people's houses we're in people's lives we bear witness you know to the difficulties that they face because of you know structural disadvantage that they have no control over but you know they're they're they, they, they suffer under uh, and I don't think that you can be in that position morally or ethically without being an activist and standing you know alongside it's it, you know we uh, uh, we should be a profession which stands alongside you know in solidarity people don't come into social work you know unless they're driven by you know values of equality and fairness and then when you're working within systems that compromise you know your sense of equality you know of fairness that challenge your notions of 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 kind of human rights then you know social workers are, are are good people and they suffer moral distress you know they have to try and kind of you know make sense of it all and process it all and 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 live with it don't they and i think again one way of maybe trying to support them in managing that mental distress is that feeling that you know if you're taking action if you're standing alongside then then there is that kind of sense that that you have some autonomy um and that you know you can affect change so I think it's that feeling of, yeah, that feeling of agency that, that you're not just a cog in the wheel, that you can be part of, 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 of system change. Have you noticed, Alison, a change at all in social work's relationship to activism since you became a social worker? I would say that in the 22 years that I've been a social worker, that I've seen actually an increase in, in activism um, and I and I think that kind of would map against, you know, life becoming harder, particularly since sort of 2010 and we had that first official, um, you know, austerity budget. Um, I've seen an increase actually in 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 activism. If I was going to give an example of that, if I think about, you know, the boot out austerity march in in 2017. So I was one of the seven core walkers um, that did the 100 miles. But 
you know, every day we were joined by, you know, by by social workers, by social work students in, you know, in vast numbers. Um, and that was just, you know, that was so, I think it was really important. It was really energizing. And there was that, you know, that real sense of um, solidarity and that actually social workers, you know, do have, do have a, a role in getting out on the streets and um, you know becoming involved in activism. It absolutely, fundamentally, is is part of you know who we should be as as social workers. So and I and I think, um, but I think what social workers worry about, and I think, and 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 I totally understand why they should be worried. You know, they worry about the kind of perspective of their managers don't they back in their you know in their local authorities oh I don't want to be seen as you know will it will it threaten my job how will I be perceived you know if I'm taking part say in a march or a rally or um and I think one of the reasons we developed the so Baswa developed the campaigners handbook after the the boot austerity march in 2017 because it, it you know it was really important that that part of that march was walking along streets, visiting food banks, visiting charities, visiting social workers in their offices, because we wanted to hear directly from people, you know, the 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 um, impact of deepening kind of austerity. And it was those stories that were the most important, you know, people's lived experiences. Um, so part of capturing those stories was 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 to support in our campaigning, you know, against you know austerity measures and the impact. But also we were listening to social work students. We were listening to social workers who were saying, you know, I'd like to do more of this, but I don't know how to do it. But also I'm a bit worried about so that, you know, the campaigners, you know, we developed the campaigners kind of handbook was to in order to kind of support them in becoming involved in activism in a way which felt comfortable to them, which wasn't necessarily going out or marching on the streets, but and in a way which felt safe, you know, safe within their kind of roles in their in 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 in, in their day jobs, but also gave them that feeling of again going back to you know agency and, aut- and autonomy. We can be part of this, but you know we can be part of it in in different ways. So it could be writing a letter. You know, it could be holding a kind of, you know, a a poetry evening, which was about, you know, kind of, you know, sharing experiences of, 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 uh, in that instance, it was about, you know, um, uh, austerity. So giving, giving choices and options and different ways of becoming involved in, in activism, whatever that means to people. I agree with you, actually, when I think about the students that I work with, um, the generation of social workers coming through a very, politically switched on they've got a very clear sense of justice and I don't mean just young people because people become social workers at all ages and stages of their life um and and I'm hoping that listening to you today listening to this podcast sort of sparks or revives that energy for people and um I wondered if you had other examples you've touched on a few of of ways that people can uh lean into their social work activist side um like you say, marches is one way, but there are other yeah, ways. Yeah, of course there are, you know, there are other ways. So again, I, I think, you know, if you're um, a member of, you know, Baswa, a member of the professional association, again, lending your voice to, and of course, all, all our campaigns are, are, are member-led. You know, we have our annual, you know, meetings and, and that's when motions are brought by our members and our, and our motions are around really key important you know areas and 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 so around you know they're around co-production they're around 
poverty, they're around homelessness. You know, these are these are the things that that are are, are fundamental. You know, to 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 the you know the families that that social workers support. So you know that that is activism. Bringing emotion is activism. Um, because then, you know, obviously, you know, as part of the, uh, the professional association has to take those motions forward and campaign on them. So, you know, that's a, that's another form of activism. Speaking to Alison, it struck me that she brought people together initially for peer support. But by virtue of the oppression this community continues to face, the group were propelled to become activists. Inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement, Alison and the group have pushed to educate and fight for changes in the social work sector. Unfortunately, abuse and discrimination against the gypsy traveller community is still prevalent and we have a long way to go, as allies and social workers, to come alongside and join this important fight. And as Alison says, this should be part of our core social work values and practice. And so I think that's also a really important thing when working with young people in this way, is being guided by what they want to do and what they want to talk about. Next up, I spoke to Farha B. Farha is the When We Speak manager at Tornby Hall. Along with colleagues Shavina and Havi, they support young people in East London as they process their lived experience and identify their role in community building and organising. We started our conversation by talking about When We Speak and what it aims to achieve with young people. So When We Speak is a youth activism programme for 15 to 25 year olds. And what we do, um, I think what I call is like three parts of what we do. We we have young people that come through our programme and we work with them to process and reclaim the lived experiences that they have. We hold spaces that allows them to reflect on their lived experiences and then start connecting it to kind of systemic violence and systemic injustices that, that that their lived experiences are attached to and then thinking about okay how does this impact our community and how does this impact on the things that I care about in terms of what's going on in my community and then we do this translation piece of then knowing all of that and doing all that work with them what does that look like in a practical sense if they were to to, to build some sort of project to support their community and then we provide them with resource so provide them with money um, to go and run, run that project so the the process isn't like it doesn't have a a time limitation we go at the speed of every young person that comes to us to do this work um, we call it like learner led uh, and very very flexible because a lot of the young people that we work with the lived experiences that they have they might be carers they might have familial responsibilities um, have experiences of of uh, vulnerable housing um, and or are going through like uh, asylum processes and things like that. So um, we're really keen for their own experiences not being a barrier to access what we like to think is a very empowering and nourishing uh, space. That's amazing. So there's something there for me about like taking the micro, the personal, and then taking it to a kind of macro level and and doing it at young people's own pace and there's so many of the the projects I've worked alongside because of funders and because of timelines it's it has to be done quick and it doesn't necessarily take into account trauma lived experience and and people's own journey absolutely um and the, and the pressure I mean I think it's been exacerbated by covid but it was there before is that there's a lot there's a lot of things going on constantly for young people even if they're not a carer or or these you know these very 
formal official roles that we we are labeled to people who have like kind of slightly different levels of, of obligations and responsibilities in in their community um there's just a lot going on for them and there's a lot of pressure and we're in a, we're in a time of like um young people being seen through the lens of productivity um and the level that they should be doing and producing and we, we often get young people who are like oh I'm not doing enough and and actually like the the doing is important sure maybe I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical about that but the bit before where we actually have time to like just think and have space um we work in East London and we, we work in Tower Hamlets um but where we're based is actually on the border of the city of London so in terms of even geographical space we're in a we're within a community which is constantly its space is constantly being reduced the, the city of london is encroaching in with its skyscrapers you have canary wharf a little bit further down <coughs> so there's a physical reduction of space that these young people are operating in they're a community they're, they're part of communities who are hyper surveilled um who have lived experiences of like state violence through prevent duty through gang matrix um, and that also, again, means that your world becomes smaller because who you trust becomes smaller if you're not able to, like, interact with these with, with things with systems and um, and services that you would you would think were, were there for you. And at the same time, regeneration and gentrification is leading to displacement of their communities. So you're you're increasingly not knowing who's living in your neighborhood. So all these different pieces are actually exacerbating a sense of isolation um, and a sense of reduction of like physical space, which also impacts like on an emotional space. So like my biggest thing of what I think when we speak is, is about holding space <laughs> uh, for young people with no judgment to really explore what's gone on for them and try to understand that, process it, and then start thinking about, okay, how, how do I, in, like looking in, and then how does, that, how does that play out if I'm then trying to build something for my community? Um, these young people, by virtue of existing, by virtue of being in the space that was theirs first, is in itself radical. Absolutely. Um, and I think, we're, we, you know, we're seeing it constantly, like literally every other day in that area, there's new scaffolding, there's new things being built. And, uh, and that's the environment that they're living in. And they're seeing that and they're seeing, they're seeing how they're devalued. So actually also something that's centred in, 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 centred in them and their lived experiences um is something that's quite rare and I think a lot of them acknowledge that they they a, a lot of feedback we get from young people we work with is like oh this is this is a space where I can just be and I don't have to like apologize for myself or be careful or use certain language so I don't offend anybody or feel like I'm going to be judged for for me just trying to understand something and I'm working it out and even the things that I'm saying it might not be my my final thought on it like but I just need that space to, to do that. And this, 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 um, this project does that, that. It gives it that space. So, so we're thinking about social workers specifically in this podcast. Um, social workers listening to, that work in more traditional social work roles in local authorities or in um, bigger charities, what could they take from your approach at When We Speak um, into their practice? Um, I think it being learner-led and flexible has been really really valued um one of the one of the feedbacks we got from a young person that like really landed in my my heart was when they said to me uh what I love about you guys is that you don't drop us we're not a project you know we're a person um and I think there's something around um youth work where there are outcomes and outputs and and there can be a focus on those things um that we sometimes forget that these are people and they're coming with so many different 
um, experiences and things that they're bringing into the room when they're engaging with a project. And so I would say, um, like holding holding enough space to to uh, for young people to explore themselves beyond the parameter that you might be working within, um, which I can I also recognise resource etc. It can be hard to do that, um, and. Um, and all, and then and then referring right like we do get a lot of referrers uh, referrals uh, from social prescribers and uh, social workers uh, into our program with, where we've built really strong relationships with them and they recognise the value of what we do. Um, so finding gem projects that aren't really about like um, the outcome, but ra- rather about the process, um, and and trying to build partnerships with those, I think, uh, are really important. Um, and th- and that works for me too, right? Like there are there are young people, there are <coughs> interventions that I then re- I signpost or refer young people to, where I'm like, actually, I'm not the person that can do this, or this isn't the program that can can support this young person with with what like what they're going through. Um, I think sometimes as well, like people can feel quite territorial of like their project or or um, the people that they're working with. Um, and that comes from an environment of, again, like competing for resource, right? We go out quite a lot to places where young people are. So we have a core project that we, we run at, uh, at Toynbee Hall, which is um, the organisation that when we speak, uh, that we, when we speak project exists within. So we have the core project where, where young people come to us, but then we also run bespoke sessions and go out uh, to organisations, to youth clubs, to carers groups and things like that. And a lot of the time we will go long term, and just be there and have no agenda. Um, we will run, like we'll have some light activities and we'll just come and we'll really respond to who's in the room and um, be guided by the, what they want to do and what they talk about. So what I'm hearing is that there's something about your approach that social workers take about giving young people space to build trust, not assuming or demanding trust from the get-go and that may take time and a, a softly softly approach and I talk about this a lot with the stu- student social workers I work with about tenacity I was always amazed by how young people would start to trust me despite a history of social workers that they didn't trust just because I kept turning up and that's such a low bar isn't it but just kept turning up kept being interested and um, and then there's also something about humility and Maybe it's it's not going to be us as the allocated social worker who's going to make the change or be the significant relationship. And actually, we we are a part of that fabric or that foundation, and so we are going to be not trusted, or we are going to hold the legacy of the the things that that young person has been through, um, and and represent that in the space. And that's the reality. And we can't say, oh no, well, we didn't do that because that's what the young person will feel. And that's where you're starting from. You're not starting from scratch. You're starting from a place of like young people being let down, mistrust um, and on a constant cyclical level. Um, and you're part like we as youth workers or social workers um, are part of that infrastructure. Even if we are trying to subvert it in the way that we're trying to work, that's how we're coming across. And that's why long term showing up is so important. And I recognise very hard to do when you're working with finite resources. But if you can, very important. There's a story that's come before that we can't control and we can't just go, oh, well, I'm different. You need to show that in your in your actions. And I think for for those social workers like myself who are white that, and working in, in communities that have experienced racism, that there is a story that's come before about white professionals particularly that you need to respect and um, and not 
uh, assume that um, that you'll be seen as different because why would you? Brilliant. Is there anything else for her that you would like to add to this conversation? I do think projects like this, which also I didn't, um, I, I inherited uh, from my predecessor, Anique, um, are so, so important and valuable um, and rare as well. I think there's a lot of like, I find with youth um, projects that are existing currently, there's a lot around like an education project or a employment project, or social enterprises, um, and actually something that's like really fluid and like, oh, we, we are an activist project, but we actually don't know what's going to happen. We're going to have these projects. We don't actually know what they are. Um, and the fluidity that our program allows and uh, therefore allows young people to own it. Um, it is a youth led project. Um, everything comes from the young people in the content, in the ways that the conversations that come out and then the projects that come out completely by young people. Um is just so vital in a time where there's so much being taken away from them um, and has the capacity to just, yeah, not only provide practical skills, but also allow them to process them, themselves um, and, and really, really um, provide a kind of a holistic um, framework to support their mental health as well, which we're, we're really hearing from our young people. Um, and I think the more and more social workers can partner with, with projects like this, I can only imagine... Uh, good things coming out of that and and also potentially social workers listening partnering and innovating their own projects that take from the the way that you're working so that this isn't one unique project in Tower Hamlets but there's projects like this across the country I wonder if I'm leaning into the kind of and what were the products self but I am curious to see what kind of projects the young people have been coming up with um so we've had a community garden being set up. Um, we have uh, we have we have a group actually that work together. They um, they're setting up self defence classes for young carers. Um, we have funded. We've just recently funded somebody who is running um, youth empowerment sessions for young Somalis in the in in East London, um, young Somali girls in East London, and um, we have somebody who's he's doing an amazing thing around intergenerational stories on his estate and he's going to produce a book and that comes out of this sense of there being a disconnect from like the elder generation that migrated into the area and younger people um not knowing each other's narratives um and that that can create a disconnect so he's he's doing this really fantastic project we have somebody who's really um been fascinated around kind of like the like identity and belonging question especially for young um for refugees who came as children who came as very very little children and so very grew up completely in the U uk but were also a refugee um and so they want to have kind of um using theater are developing kind of workshops discussion workshops for other people that identify in that way so going to see a play and then having conversations about it um, what else do we have? We had somebody, uh, this project um, was a fine art project, um, setting up a all-black woman choir. Uh, we had somebody who created a series of, uh, they actually ended up creating their own social enterprise, um, but they created a series of workshops for women to build confidence. Um, there was, there's also a, a, what's become a nationwide network uh, of getting young students having voices in education decisions. They are things that we, like people in the charity sector, would just not come up with because they haven't had the lived experience of the things that these these young people are trying to tackle. Um, and that that is knowledge and that is so valuable. And you can see it in 
what they're like, okay, that, that's actually what my community needs. This is what it is. And this is why. And being able to articulate that. And we do do that practical piece of like, how do you articulate that? And how do you do it in a way that's also boundaried? Like, because it is coming from lived experiences. How do you then hold yourself and, and protect yourself from not being exploited or feeling like, you know, being harmed and sharing so much that's public, uh, personal too? Because we don't want to be like, or young people feeling like they have to always share this. They don't. It informs the way that they look at things. But then when they're presenting their project, they're presenting their project from knowledge that they know that they have. Talking to Farha, I was in awe of the work they do at When We Speak. The creativity and variety of work that young people are doing is a reminder that if we, as social workers, see young people from all backgrounds as the key to social change, to social justice, then the world will really be a better place. The real issues in the local authority, I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this, but actually there is a way, there is a way. And the domains of action, Lang, et al. comes into place. You're listening to Hannah Olatunde. Hannah is a second year frontline participant and newly qualified social worker. She works in a local authority in Essex within family support and protection. Hannah is a passionate advocate for delivering best outcomes for vulnerable children and families, utilising skills gained from her previous career as an ex-Magic Circle lawyer. I asked Hannah what activism means to her. The current context, I see placards, I see, you know, direct, um, kind of very direct confrontational, um, you know, acts of complaint um, or championing a particular cause in quite a forceful way is how ordinarily I would, especially in this environment, I would interpret the word activism. However, in the context of, in the social work context, and the way that I have, you know, as a newly qualified social worker, having done year one of Frontline, I realised that activism within social work is much broader. Um, there is space for that. And I know there is a debate in the background about how activism is dead within social work, etc. I, I don't agree. I think activism can happen on so many different levels. Um, there will always be a clear messaging of standing clearly for something. You have a clear position on something, but how we go about that can be so different. I can hold a placard or I can take a clear stance in my work with children and families. That means that, you know, that, you know, I stand for nothing other than empowering and ensuring that the treatment of that family is fair and equal and equitable. Um, And I could be doing that as a newly qualified social worker or indeed a student social worker. Am I an activist in that sense? I believe that I am, if my messaging is clear. But I I also have constraints. So there are power angles. I'm sure we'll talk about all these different things. But yeah, that activism means all those things to me. And you touched on justice and empowerment. And I guess then I'm thinking about social justice. To you, are social work and social justice linked? And if so, how? Absolutely linked. I I think social justice is the bedrock, almost the central theme of, of social work. And I think that's supported by, if you go to the BASWA website, British Association of um, Social Workers, and it, it, it links to the, I think it's the IF, uh, what is that definition now? IFSW um, definition of social work, global definition of social work, which has 
as a central theme, this idea of social justice. And I know that social justice means different things to different people and, and, and it becomes problematic in, in certain areas. But we can't talk about social work without social justice, which then, I guess, you know, necessitates the question, what is social justice? Well, for me, social justice is human rights, it's fairness, it's equity, it's equality, um, it's equal opportunities. And all, all those, these words are quite loaded and it will take probably another podcast to, to explore. But that's what social justice is. And social work, especially frontline, I'm frontline trained, within frontline and social work indeed, but emphasised within frontline is this idea of empowerment. You can't empower people without this underlying idea of fairness, um, at least kind of, you know, social change. It's all about empowering for better coming alongside families, empowering for better, ensuring that they have equal access to resources. That's what equal opportunities, both economically, politically, socially, is what social justice is about. And so you can see the clear links then between social work, which is supposed to empower people to get access to these things, and social justice, which is all about that. And you've touched on it already when you're thinking about access to resources, um, but you also spoke about that tension there between the confines of our role. How, in your view, can social workers be social change activists? What examples have you seen in your journey so far? Mm, and so, thank you, Hannah. This is a real, hmm, it's a real dilemma and there's, there are real tensions um, within that that question that that would be really interesting to unpick. So as social workers, particularly um, as a statutory um, or social workers working within the context of local authorities, we are, you know, agents of the state, as a social worker anyway. Um, you are an agent of the state. And so there are duties, therefore, backed by statute that need to be observed. Added onto that, whatever is the ethos the drive, the objectives of your local authority. So systemically, you're working within that bubble. And then you have this idea of social justice, conscience, equity, all the things that I've talked about earlier. That's the core, the bedrock of your role, what what so we understand social work to be. The tension lies between sometimes what you feel to be surely this is the right thing to do from a social justice perspective um surely this family should get access to these funds or they should be at the top of the housing you know list or at least be prioritized versus managerial priorities other issues, other concerns that are above the pay grade, particularly as a newly qualified social worker, that seemingly kind of constrain that kind of yearning, at least for me anyway, to go out there and, and advocate and be the activist social worker to get what I feel having mentalized accurately for this family that they need. Um, so that tension exists, but, I, you know, 
this is what I alluded to at the beginning. Despite the constraints, despite the limited resources, despite the politics, despite the local authority, just shackles sometimes, we can, and I believe, I, I, I disputed this at the beginning of my frontline journey, actually, when I began and I saw the, rea- the the difference between what I was being taught on frontline versus the real issues in the local authority. I thought, I'm not going to be able to do this, but actually there is a way, there is a way. And the domains of action, Lang et al. comes into place, really thinking, how can I, how can I stand and, 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 and advocate for this family, for best outcomes for this family, whilst performing my statutory duties, which means that I have to do X, Y, Z procedurally, which may not sit well with the placard-waving social worker. So you're at the start of your career, really, Hannah, and, and you're thinking about the social worker you want to be moving forward. And it's interesting that the nurse said, what's, your, what's the actual job description as a social worker? And it, and it is contentious. What, what is it? What do we do? Um, how do you hope to, to lead change for children and families looking at the start of your career? Absolutely. Um, thank you for asking me that because my frontline, um, my last frontline reflective log was, was around exactly this. Um, uh, I want to position myself as an anti-oppressive practitioner. I don't, I don't believe we can be anti-oppressive without paying close attention to social justice. I want to be that social worker that other agencies want to work with, but are aware of a clear position that I take, which in summary, I, I guess I'll throw a few words about is that I am I am curious, which means that I am intellectually curious, emotionally curious, systemically curious. And so I'm not the activist that comes in with these, you know, emotionally laden and just, you know, you know, um, you know, hell bent on something without due consideration to, you know, the systems and the, you know, the the, the context in which, because that's really important, I think, for multi-agency working and for re- effective relationship building. And this is where I think my systemic training on frontline really, really kind of, I think, sets me apart when I have worked with professionals. But notwithstanding that, positioning myself as that practitioner that will speak up for families and children we're working with some of the, the most vulnerable people in society um, whose needs should and must be met equitably. Um, and it's my job to highlight these needs and to come alongside the family in a strengths-based way that means that I can voice where they may not be able to you know, have the opportunity to voice, but I am their voice in that meeting. It's not my views superimposed upon them, but it's it's their views accurately mentalizing for them, hearing their views, strengthening them, and being that voice where it counts, as it were, in those key meetings, in a in an anti-oppressive way, but that is attuned to the context that we're working with. So it's that It's that non-compromising but aware position. 
What I loved about my conversation with Hannah was the sense that whether we engage in traditional activism or not, by respecting that families already have the knowledge and power and that we don't have all the answers, the way we practice can drive forward social change. I also liked how she named that a key role of social workers is to ensure that families have equal rights and access to resources. So again, kind of just having them at the table, I think can, can really sort of bring up slightly different things and, and sort of make it sure that the things that you do are more focused on the things that are important to them. Next up, I spoke to Linda Berheim. Linda has worked in policy research and practice improvement for two decades, specialising in children in care and care leaver issues since 2008. At Corum Voice, she leads the Voices Improving Care team, giving children and young people a voice in the services that they receive. With her team, she delivers programmes that focus on policy and practice improvement in children's social care through research, co-production and engagement with children in care. People have lots of different ideas of what activism means. What does it mean to you? I, I was thinking about this when I kind of when I first got asked about activism. I was uh, it's not the word I usually kind of think about, but I think for um, core and voice is all about supporting care experienced children and young people to be heard in the decisions that matter to them. So in this context, it's about creating a space where they have their voices heard, and also about being a champion for them in the instances when they can't be in the room. Uh, and I think you know, when we do our policy and practice development work, it's always influenced by what children and young people have told us is important to them. You know, what asking what do young people think um, if we're proposing changes? What will they think about these changes? And will they feel that that will make their life better for them? And why do you think it's important to um, to use activism or whatever word you, you would use? Why is it important to influence people and policies and achieve social change for children and young people? So I think, I think activism is really, you know, it's a lot about shifting people's perspective and refocusing uh, policy and practice on, um, on things, as in our case, on the things that are important to children and young people. You know, it's often about changing culture and uh, shifting values. So things like campaigns against racism or environmental activism, you know, it's all about sort of shifting values. And I suppose that's what, what we're all about as well. It's about shifting that focus and starting to think about, um, children and young people as experts in their own experiences and that really need to be heard and sort of have an opportunity to influence things. And we kind of often see that historically policy and practice is often driven more by performance measures. There are objective measures and professional assessments and the kind of stuff that we try to do is, is shifting that into thinking about what is it that um, children and young people themselves think what are their viewpoints do they feel happy do they feel safe what do they think um is going on in their lives from the work that you do with young people what what is important to them what what are the things that sort of spark them to want to change things so we have we have a, a big program called the bright spots program which has um, been working around um looking at what makes life good for children in care and care leavers and they're the kind of things, when you look at that, we've, we also sort of compare to other children, young people, and there are some things that are important to everyone. Relationships are really, really important. Um, the kind of opportunities that you have in your day-to-day life, but the things for, for children in care and for care leavers is that they have different um, experiences. So for example, they may not 
you know, they, they tend not to live with their families. So they have relationships with carers, with um, social workers. They, uh, but it's still important for them to see their family. So that's a really important thing to them. Um, but and then also they have sort of things about the fact that they're in this system, this children's social care system that impacts them. So things like their relationships with their social workers, whether they have a say in the decisions that are being made about their lives. You know, can they trust the people in their lives? Those are the kind of things that are important. Um, but then also, you know, I think what's been really interesting when we look at sort of what makes life good, um, sometimes things come up that social workers or, or other professionals don't really think about is things like pets and uh, whether you have social media access at home, whether you um, feel lonely, whether you have friends. And that's maybe not the kind of focus of, of children's social care so much. Yeah. I remember having conversations a lot with students, uh, social work students, where, you know, we would read uh, a history of a child and and assume that the, the biggest challenge in their life is around their upbringing and what's going on at home but actually what is most on their mind is is bullying or what life's like in school and what's their highest context might not be our highest context can you think of any examples so I guess the point of the question is people social workers will be listening to the podcast who are working in local authority teams who weren't working in kind of specialist roles that involve participation as the kind of forefront of their role um how can those social workers or have you got examples of social workers that have empowered young people to influence decisions that impact their lives and futures who maybe aren't sitting in those kind of roles where that's the primary purpose? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that there's kind of two things. One is that um, they're usually the ones who have the contacts with the, with children and young people. So if those opportunities are coming up in the local authority or, or more broadly, they're usually the ones that communicate those and kind of identify that for young people and actually give them the chance by telling them about that. So it's a really important thing of like communicating those opportunities. But I think also they're often the ones that have a lot of these conversations about what's going on in their lives and and feeding that back into the system and kind of sharing those experiences and, and kind of, uh, you know, I think what can happen is stuff gets stuck in um, in case files or, you know, they don't get kind of collated and, and shared together. We do, we do obviously the work that we do where we have our own mechanisms like surveys and, and ways of engaging our people to give them that voice. But I think, you know, in individual local authorities for individual workers to kind of bring it up in teams to, to talk to colleagues about what, about various things to share with managers what is going on and what the challenges are for the children and young people that you work with, I think is a sort of ongoing being a champion for for the issues that they face and questioning things like policies around um you know one of the things that often comes up in in our work is is uh, children saying for example you know it's really difficult for me to see friends because i'm get, being told that i need to have a dbs check of any uh, any parents if i want to go see them or stay overnight and there's been like lots of guidance about this for for years and years from central government etc but still within local authorities those those kind of things happen and then individual social workers could question those kind of policies and saying do i really need to sign off a dbs for uh, my child's um, uh, 
friends' parents or can we work in another way? So I think there's lots about kind of just chat, challenging and questioning policies and procedures that are there that may not actually be grounded in any form of legislation framework. Can you share some of the creative ways that you you talked about a little bit about them, surveys and, and ways that you do engage with young people? Yeah, so we have some the, these kind of big projects. So the Bryce Bus Programme um, was, was all about developing um, a measure for comparing local authorities and kind of helping local authorities exp- explore how children and young people are doing in their local area, but based on the things that are important to them. So so in the Breast Wars Programme, we worked with young people uh, through a series of workshops to kind of explore those things and create a set of questions So it's, uh, and develop surveys that capture their well-being. And we now work with local authorities across the country. We've worked with over 60 and had over 20,000 responses. Um, and the way those surveys are then used is that that tells you things that are important to children locally. And then the local authorities kind of listen to those things and think about how they can work differently. So for example, in uh, Sheffield, one of the things that came up in, in their surveys were about children um, highlighting that they didn't like the way that they looked, that they felt that they didn't always get to see friends um, or have a chance to talk to their carers about the things that mattered to them. And they worked then with their fostering service to think about, well, actually what we what we want to set up is some formal way of, of encouraging foster carers to, to take these things on board and look at those on a regular basis. And so they created something they called the Fostering Five, which was five conversations that they wanted foster carers to focus on and it was uh, about liking the way you look having good friends and friendship groups it was about um, being able to do the same things as other children it was about talking to um, carers about the things that matter to children and about liking school and education and encouraging education so kind of linking into that example that you gave Um, and they made sure that that then got woven through recruitment and training and supervision and annual reviews and their service manager did a little film to explain it to to everyone when they start creating it and they create a little prompt sheet um, of ideas of things that carers could try and carers develop little action plans together with their fostering um, supervising social workers to reflect and record on those things about how they could do differently and they kind of really engaged them and made them think about these issues and focus more on on those things that the children in that area had kind of thought was important yeah what I love about that example is there's some it's a there's a real simplicity to it and to me it speaks to how young people often have better ideas like we become as adults very institutionalized for the way we always do things particularly in institutions like social work and young people have more open minds can have really create so it's not about doing it because it's a sort of morally the right thing to do it's sometimes doing it because it's it enables better ideas and better practice genuinely absolutely and I think you know another example is if for example one of the authorities work with was Isle of Wight where their young people um had it felt that they're kind of their issues with their accommodation and they they didn't always uh, feel that they felt safe or settled where they lived and felt that their their accommodation was right for them. So they involved young people in in commissioning uh, supported accommodation 
and they kind of looked at what well, what do we want out of supported accommodation uh they they put in questions in the application forms for for the providers and um they ho- they uh, co-hosted an information session for providers so like as they developed that accommodation it was much more likely to to meet the needs of young people so again kind of just having them at the table i think can can really sort of bring up slightly different things and and sort of make it sure that the things that you do are more focused on the things that are important to them so if we were going to go really big picture and think beyond your role beyond mine or social works how can we society politics enable young people to have more opportunities to influence to inform the care system and social work in general have you got any ideas well so i think i mean ultimately you always need to sort of resource it and you need to have time i think the things that we've found in the past you know we've worked on things like the independent review of children's social care and trying to get uh, give young people a voice in that and it just like the thing is it takes time to translate the stuff that's professionals are asking into a language that makes sense to young people and usually once you translated it that's a language that makes sense for professionals too uh, because because it's actually like the easier more uh, obvious way of saying things um but it takes time to kind of bring people together you need to have like the physical spaces whether that's in person or online you need to kind of reach out and advertise it and make sure that people kind of know about your opportunities you need to actually have decision makers who are willing to listen and who are willing to make a change as a result um i think one of the you know the challenges is always you can you can get people to kind of have their say and but if you're not really going to sort of change the way if the way you're working then then there's a sort of yeah exactly so so it's about kind of being really open to working in different ways and doing things differently based on what you get back um which i think is really is really important what interested me most in the conversation with linda is that social workers can be the facilitator to help young people and children have their voices heard We can look out for unique projects, community groups and ways they can be activists and facilitators of social change to speak for themselves rather than have others speak for them. One thing that came through in speaking to all my guests was that activism within social work is not always about us as social workers taking up the space, shouting from megaphones about what needs to change, but that our proximity to those that are most marginalised should demand that we use our privilege to ensure these voices are heard most loudly knowing when to step forward and when to step back. This could look like linking young people and families in with community groups and projects like Quorum Voice or When We Speak, joining forces with the Gypsy Romani Traveller Social Worker Association as an ally, or simply practising in a way that holds social justice as the core of your practice, like Hannah said. We know there's more great stuff out there. If you have any examples, we want to hear from you. Get in touch by searching Frontline Social Work and visiting our website. That's all from me for this series of the Frontline Podcast. I've loved chatting to all our guests and hearing from the key people driving change in social work. To listen back to my conversations, make sure you like, follow and subscribe to wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening.